Good morning, guys. How are you guys doing this morning? I'm glad you guys are here. I'm really excited uh, for what God's got. Like Justin said, my name is Jeremy West. I am the youth pastor here at Capitol Vineyard, and usually I do the announcements and Justin preaches, but uh, this weekend I'm, I'm really honored to be up here in front of you guys and get to do the message. So uh, before we dive into the message, though, I would like to say a, a little word of prayer. So if you guys would pray me, that would be awesome. Uh, Father God, I just want to thank you for today. I want to thank you for the opportunity to be up here, God, and just be in front of these people and to be giving your word this weekend, Lord. Um, I just pray that you would keep, continue to guide me through this message and you would just fill this place with your presence, God, as we're up here this morning and as we gather in your name, Lord. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this is week three of this series that we are calling CORE, right? Um, last week, Last week, Justin started talking about these, well, not last week, two weeks ago, we started talking about distinctives, and the distinctives are kind of going through not what we are as the Capital Vineyard, because we talked about that at the beginning of who we were as Capital Vineyard, but this is more of who we are as a vineyard church, right? In the vineyard movement, these distinctives kind of show the core values of what a vineyard church means. So last weekend, Justin talked about everybody gets to play. Uh, that's the idea, the concept of come as you are, but don't stay that way. Um, I always really loved that wording that we just, we don't really care what people have done, like what their past looks like, who they are, where they've been. We want them to come into this place, right? They want, we want them to be in this place with us doing this thing that we call faith. And the last point that he made last week was the play point. Uh, it, it should be fun, right? This, this thing, this faith that we do should be fun. And when I got to thinking about those two things together, it really hit me that like we get to invite people from outside church, people who might not know God, who might be just meeting God for the first time, we get to invite them into this joy, right? This joy that we have as, a, as, a, as Christians, as Christ followers. We get to invite them into that. And it's just exciting. And I really loved that last point. Um, but week one, he talked about the main and the plain. That was that everything that we do here at Capitol Vineyard, everything we preach, all the messages, the serving, everything we do is rooted in the word. Um, it's rooted in the Bible, and that's not going to change this morning. I'm going to be rooted in the Bible, everything. We've got some stories from the Bible, um, that we're going to talk about, and, and, and the distinctive that I landed on, as Justin and I were talking about this, we got to talking, and he didn't just hand me one and say, this is what you get, no matter what you like it or not. He let me pick, which I loved. Um, he let me pick which one I wanted to do, and I landed on faith is spelled R-I-S-K, um, and I know faith is not spelled that way. There's no R in faith. It's spelled risks, right? Faith is risky. Our faith is risky, and what, that's what it should be. We should be taking risks in our faith. That is just how we need to be living out our faith. And so as I got to thinking about that, it got me, obviously, the first thing I thought about was, was Jesus, his life. And at a quick glance, it was really easy for me to see that in Jesus' life, everywhere, the whole time he was alive, it was all just risk, right? He was taking risks all the time. And it started even before he was born, before Jesus was born, just the conception of Jesus was a risk. We talked about it in our Scandal series over Christmas. We talked about how risky that was for Mary to be a virgin who was pregnant with a baby and what that meant for her and Joseph and their marriage. And like in that time, it was so taboo, it was so bad for her to be pregnant that it, it, was, it was risky, right? It was risky for her to even have a baby. And so that part was a risk. And when, when Jesus was finally born, King Herod, he got all scared. He was all freaked out that there was a baby who he knew was going to one day be bigger than him, right? He was scared because all of a sudden there was a baby that was going to take over, right? He was going to take over the Messiah, the King of Kings had come, and he was going to take over King Herod. And so King Herod had all the babies killed from Bethlehem. It was risky for Jesus to be alive because he was supposed to be dead, right? King Herod thought that he had killed him. 
It followed him into his ministry. In his ministry, it was a little bit less of a risk that he was going to die all the time, but it was risky in the fact that people didn't always agree with what Jesus had to say. A lot of people didn't believe what Jesus had to say. They didn't understand it, and they weren't really following him. Um, there were people who, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who liked to try and corner Jesus. They liked to try and put him in a corner and, and pin him down and make him look like he was wrong, like he was teaching false things. And so just the, the ministry that he was doing, right, the teaching that he was doing was risky. It was scary for him. It was risky for him to even be doing it. And it all comes to a point when, when Jesus goes into Jerusalem in his death, right, it was, it was him going in there was a risk. He knew that he was going to die, right? He knew he was going to die. He knew he was going to be betrayed, and he went anyways. He went in there anyways, and he did that for us. I can't even fathom. I can't even imagine going on a trip, going on a trip, and God being like, hey, Jeremy, this is it. You're going to die right here at the end of this, and that's just all there is to it. And I would be like, whoa, hold on, God. What do you mean I'm going to die at the end of this? That's not how this should be, right? I can't imagine going into that. And he went anyways, right? Jesus went anyways. His whole life was one big risk. And, and I want, I, I, and I'm not, I'm not naive. I know that we can't, we can't be Jesus. As Christians, we are called to follow Jesus, to follow in his footsteps, right? Do the things that Jesus did. Live the way that he lived his life. And I know that we can't do that always. We're not perfect. The reason he came, the reason he had to take those risks is because we aren't perfect. But we have to try, right? We have to try and take those risks. And I know that it brings up the question of, okay, well, if Jesus came to fill the gaps, then do we really need this? Do we have to take all of the risks? When God calls us to something that we don't really like, do we have to, right? Because Jesus came, he filled the gaps in for us. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about today, instead of just focusing on Jesus, we're actually going to talk about a man in the Bible, someone who was following Jesus in the Bible, following God, and he took risks. He took risks in his life. He took more than one. We're going to focus on one big risk that he took, and that's, that's David, right? David and Goliath. We're going to look at the story of David and Goliath. And I'm sure that most of us here have probably heard the story of David and Goliath, okay? It's a pretty popular story, pretty popular in kids. I think that was probably the first story that I heard when I went to Sunday school um, was, was David and Goliath, and I didn't go to Sunday school often, so that was saying something. Um, but the story of David and Goliath, before we read it, before I read it to you guys and we start talking about it, I want you guys to take a second and think with me for a second, okay? How many of you guys have seen any of the Fast and Furious movies? Yeah. I love those movies. Thank you, Tim. Jimmy Thunder. Um, so the Fast and Furious movies, right? They're exciting, aren't they? They're really exciting. When you watch them for the first time, I remember watching the series, watching them for the first time, you never really know what's going to happen. I never really know, you know, if they're going to crash, if they're going to, you know, if they're going to die, if they're going to make it to the next movie. There were so many characters. They could have easily gotten rid of some of them. It would have been fine, right? But you never really know. And I think because most of us have heard the story of David and Goliath, and we know how it ends. We know that David wins in the end, right? We know that it's a triumph for him. That I think we lose some of the emotion of the story. I think we stop getting excited about the risks that David was taking. We stop thinking about them as risks because we know that in the end, he wins, right? In the end, he kills Goliath. He's victorious. And there's nothing, there's no problem. There's no more, there's no more to the story. So today, as we think about it, as we talk about it, I want you guys to try and think about really the emotion that's going into the story. 
where we're at in this story. When David, when David does things, I want you to think about what it would have been like for him to do those, to take those risks. You don't really know if it's gonna if it's gonna work out in the end. Okay? So I'm not gonna read you the whole story. Full honesty, the first time I did it, read it to Justin, read the whole story. It was not too long. Way too much scripture, let me tell you. So I broke it up. All right, we broke it down. So I'm gonna tell you what's going on. I'm just gonna give you a little idea of what's happening right here in the story. So um, Israel and the Philistines are on two hills, and there's a valley in the middle of them, and they are getting ready to go to battle, right? They're getting ready to have a war, and as was custom in that time, there was a champion from both sides of the battle would go out, and they would fight, and that would just decide the war, and that, I don't know. That was just how they did it. It was to save bloodshed so there wouldn't be as much killing or whatever it is, but the Philistines have this champion. His name is Goliath. And in the Bible, they say he's six cubits tall, and I had to look up what a cubit was, I'm still not entirely sure, but that meant he was like over nine feet tall, okay? That is a big dude, and I really like imagery, it's one of my favorite things, and so when I think about this, when I think about like David and Goliath standing next to each other, I got to thinking about, um, you ever seen those pictures of Shaq and Kevin Hart, <laughs> right? Like, Kevin Hart's like three feet tall, and Shaq's like... I don't know how tall Shaq is, but like that's the image that I get in my head of David and Goliath. Like he, Goliath is a huge guy, okay? And and everybody in all of the Israelites are afraid of Goliath, and that includes Saul. Okay, when Saul got made, when Saul was made king, the Bible says that he was like a head taller than everybody, and Goliath makes him look small. Okay, so a lot, Saul is scared as well, and so they're all. They're on their separate hills. Goliath is out in the valley, and Goliath just starts taunting Israel. He's taunting them. He's trying to get someone to come out and fight him, and he does it for like 40 days. That's like over a month of just day and night, once in the morning and once at night. You just go out and taunt people and try and get them to fight him, okay? And so nobody's going. Everybody's terrified, and that's where we kind of meet David. David is watching his dad's sheep. His brothers are in the war, and his dad says, all right, David, take some snacks to your brothers. Go see how they're doing, you know? Make sure they're all okay. So David goes, and he uh, is going to see his brother at the camps, and he sees Goliath come out and start to taunt, and he starts asking questions. And that's where we're going to pick it up. We're going to pick it up in uh, verse 28, 1 Samuel 17, verse 28, and it's uh, Eliab is where, is where we meet his brothers. Um, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, what have you come down here? Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart. On account of this Philistine, your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried him off from the flock, I went after it. I struck it down, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because, uh, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. 
So Saul is like, eventually he's like, all right, David, you know, if you're going to do it, go ahead and do it. And he gets this idea that he's like, David, because you're small, I'm going to put some armor on you. And he gives him some armor, and it's this great armor. I don't really know everything about it, but it's this really nice armor. And I get the image of uh, a Christmas carol when he's got this big coat on. He's like, Mom, I can't move my arms. Like, that, David is too, bi- too small for this armor, okay? And so David says, no, I don't want none of that. I don't need that armor. It's too big. I'm not used to it. I can't fight in it. So David takes off the armor, and he decides that he's going to take in some stones. He goes and gets some stones and put them in his pocket or satchel or his leather bag, whatever it is he keeps them in, and he gets his slingshot, and he gets ready with his slingshot, and, and uh, he decides he's going to go fight Goliath with some stones in a slingshot, okay? So then we're going to pick it back up in verse 48, okay? As the Philistines moved closer to attack him, uh, David ran quickly toward the battle line and met him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead. He fell face down on the ground. So David had triumphed. David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without his sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Right? So we know. David wins, right? In the end, David wins the fight. They have, there was this, some banter that went on between the two of them where they're both like, I'm going to cut your head off and feed it to the animals. And they both kind of agreed that they were going to kill each other. And ended up, David, David ends up winning this fight. But I don't want us to miss the risks that David took, the, the, the things that David had to do before he got to the fight, before he gets to that point of triumph, okay? When David is sent to his brothers, the first thing he does is he goes down there, and he starts talking to some dudes, and he's like, who's that guy? Like, right, why, is he, why is he getting all angry? Who is he? What happens if we kill him? People answer him. And then David's brother hears him, and David's brother's like, dude, go home, right? Like, you're not even supposed to be here. You're the little brother. You're the little brother. Go home. Don't, don't stay here, right? So one person is telling David he can't do it. And then David meets Saul, and he's got all this confidence. He's like, I've killed a lion. I can do this. He meets Saul, and Saul says, basically, you're too small to do this, right? You can't do this either. And yet David, David still has this, this courage. He still has this uh, confidence that he's going to be able to do it. And, and I want you guys to understand that this is not a fight for David's life, okay? It is kind of a fight for his life, right? If he loses, he's probably going to die. But it's not just about David at this point. Because if David loses this fight, all of Israel becomes servants. The entire nation of Israel our servants. It's not just David risking his own life anymore. It's not him risking his life for a sheep like he was before. This is for an entire nation. He has to go fight Goliath for the whole nation. That is a big risk on David's part, one that he has to take on his own. And so as we start talking about living a risky faith, taking risks in our faith, I wanted, I wanted to break it down a little bit, break it down. I've got three points that we're going to break it down into, and it's just going to be kind of a how. how. How do we take risks in our faith? What do we need to do to start taking these risks or to keep taking these risks in our faith? Okay? And so the first point is we need to start following God boldly. We need to be able to follow God boldly, just like David did, just like David in our story. We need to follow God boldly because God is going to ask us to do some pretty crazy stuff sometimes. He's going to ask us to do some uncomfortable things that are going to stretch us and they're going to take us out of our comfort zones and we have to be willing to do that. We have to be willing to take God's call and follow him. You know, this week with the, with the youth, we started a series called Games. 
And the, one of the points this week we talked about was, was stretching out of our comfort zones, okay? Because I learned in college that if you don't stretch, you can't grow. And I learned it in college as, a, as muscles, and, and now it really works in my faith. In my faith, I've learned that if I'm not willing to stretch in my faith, I'm not leaving God any room to help me grow, okay? And so as we're stretching, as God is calling us into, into different things, I think a lot of times we get, a scared. we get scared. Quite frankly, we get scared to do things. We're afraid to be uncomfortable because it's not easy. Being uncomfortable is a really hard thing to do. It's hard for me. It's hard for Justin. We're all, it's hard for everybody to be uncomfortable. And so a lot of times I think we get, we get a little worried and we're like, you know what? Maybe I won't do it this time. Maybe I'll follow you next time, God. Call me again. I might follow next time, but not this time. This time I'm just going to wait. And we get scared that we might fail or we, or we failed in the past. And so we're like, yeah, I, I tried that and it didn't work. So I'm not going to do this. Right? But in, in Joshua 1.9, Joshua 1.9, it says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God commanded us to be strong and courageous. And I'm not, I don't really think that God commanded us to be physically strong. I think he'd be okay with it. But I don't think that's what he's commanding us here. I think he's commanding us to be strong in our faith. To be willing to take those risks, to be courageous in those things. If, we're, if, if God is commanding us here to be courageous, and it's not like a, hey, you know what, if you wake up tomorrow and you're feeling good, go ahead. I, I accept. Go ahead. No, it's, it's a command. It's like, hey, be courageous. Take those steps. But if we're not taking risks, where's the room for us to be courageous? Do we have room to be, to be courageous in our lives if we're not taking risks? We don't. So we have to take those risks. We have to step out just like David did. Just like David stepped out and took the risk. Right? He took the risk in his faith here. He had taken two other ones with a lion and a bear, but this is a big risk for him. And it brings me right into the second point of when, when we, we take risks, when you start beginning to take risks, people are going to push back. People are going to push back against you because whether they're afraid or they're afraid that you're going to fail, people are going to push back. They always do because let's face it, if you've known, if you've had any good friends in your life, they know better than you do, don't they? Your friends know what's best for you, don't they? they just, it's not you, it's your friends. They know. And, and, and I've, had, I've had some situations like this in my life. The one situation that really stands out to me is... When I was a junior in college, I, I, I felt God calling me to working with special needs kids, to working with people who have special needs. And I work at the Stewart home now, but I felt that this is the first time that I really felt God calling me into it. And I found this opportunity to go work at a camp with kids who have cerebral palsy. And these two guys will be up here on the screen. They're, that's Jesus. His name is, I just called him Zeus all summer. I don't really know. And the other one is Gabe. And they were both 16. These are 16-year-old boys who are wheelchair-bound. And for eight weeks, I was their caregiver. And now that meant at 2 a.m., when a diaper needed changed, I changed it. And if they couldn't sleep, I sat next to their bed until they fell asleep. I had never done anything like this in my life, and I was terrified. I wasn't sure if I should do it. And so what did I do? I did the only thing I could do at that age. I said, Mom, Dad, what should I do, right? 
Ask my parents what I was supposed to do. And my mom was like, go for it. She wanted me to go. My mom's a nurse. She really pushed me to do it because she was like, this is just invaluable life experience. Because think about it. Even if you never care for somebody else again, when you have a kid, you'll be able to say, I changed a diaper before, right? That's not my first diaper, right? So she wanted me to do it for the life experience. When I asked my dad, he had a very different response. My dad wanted me to, as he called it, get a real job that summer. Um, he wanted me to do something that was going to further my career. He, he said that that summer was all about uh, making money and making connections for who I was going to be in the future, what my job was going to be in the future, meeting those people that I could work for in the future. And he actually went far enough that he told me that it would be the biggest mistake I could possibly make was to go to that camp. And I, I, I decided to go because I knew at that time, I knew that God was telling me I needed to be there. God was calling me into that. And I knew that my dad just couldn't see it because he didn't know. He just didn't know that that's what God had for me. And he was calling me into that. And so I went and I had an amazing summer. We did great stuff. Um, those two boys filled my summer with all sorts of emotions. And so it was a great time, though. I learned a lot. I met a lot of people. And I even made connections that I didn't think I was going to have. So when I got back, in the, in the end of the, at the end of the summer, I was telling my parents about this, telling them about the summer, and my mom was just smiling ear to ear. She was so happy that it worked out, and my dad stopped me about halfway through my story, and he looked at me, and he said, Jeremy, I'm sorry I ever told you not to go, because I can see now that that was the best thing for you. It was the best thing you could have done, right? I followed God, and it worked out, and I, and I, could, I remember that conversation because I was like, he sees it now. Like, my dad sees what God is calling me into now. And that was, that was people were pushing, when he was pushing back, I, I, was, I was terrified. I was like, Dad, you have given me good advice my whole life. I've always followed your advice because you just know best, right? He's my dad. He just knew best. And I think that all, all the time that Satan uses people in our lives just like that, the people we trust, the ones that we respect, the ones that we look up to for advice, he uses them to stop us from following God, right? Because that's all the devil wants is for us to stop following God. When people push back, it's the ones we trust. And so we, we, sometimes we listen to them. We're like, ah, you know what? I really trust that person. I understand God, but that guy says not to, and I really like, like, I respect them. Who am I supposed to follow here? I think so often that the devil uses those people to pull us from God, to pull us away from God in our lives. And, and I think that the reason that we follow those people, the reason that we, we let them give us advice and we take their advice is because a lot of times they start to project their fears on us. How many times have you asked someone, hey, should I do this? And they're like, well, I wouldn't do it, right? I wouldn't take that chance. I'm not sure I would be able to do what you're doing, right? Their fears all of a sudden become advice for your life. And because they're afraid to do something, they think you should be afraid to do it. And I think so often we take those people's advice. We let them into our lives and we take their advice. And we stop following. We stop following God, right? What if David had listened to his brother and been like, ah, no, you're right, I got to go watch the sheep. Who would have done it then? What if David had listened to Saul? Saul was a king saying, nah, you can't do that. And David was like, no, but I've got this. 
right? David knew he had God on his side. He knew what the call was on his life. In James 1, 3 and 4, it says, For you know that testing your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. When we test our faith, when we take those chances for God, it builds this foundation for our faith. We start to have this foundation for our faith that is just firm, that we can grow on, that we can build on a bigger faith, a better faith than we have now. When people push back against us because we're following boldly, there's only one thing that we can do. There's only one thing that we can do because the voice that's calling us is the only voice that matters. God's voice is the only one that matters, right? It's not about what they tell us. It's not about what people in this world have for us. It's what God has for us. And the only thing to do when people push back is what, is what our third point is today. Keep pursuing. Keep pursuing God in everything that we do. Because people are going to push back, whether you like it or not. People are going to push back against us. And it's the ones that we trust. And it's hard. It's hard to, to be to listening to those people, to be listening to those people and having them push back. But we have to keep following what God's call is on our life. In Deuteronomy 4.29, it says, But if, if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. If you guys are, if you're seeking God and you're questioning and you have questions of whether God is really calling you into something or not, I'm going to hit you with the truth here. You're not the first person. You are not the first people to question whether God is calling you into something. Throughout the Bible, we've had these, these, these big characters, right? The characters, and I'm, I quote the word big because they're not like Goliath big or Saul big. They're like big, like important characters in the Bible, right? Who have, who have done amazing things, who God has used for amazing things, and they have had to ask God again. They've started asking God a second time, a third time. Moses. Moses was the first character that I thought of when I thought about doing this, this message on risk. Moses was my first thought. Because Moses was like, God, I'm not really a leader. I don't really know what you want from me, but I'm not a leader, that's for sure. And I don't know if that was just Moses' insecurities or if someone in Moses' life had said, nah, dude, you're probably not going to be a good enough leader for this. Right? I don't know who it was. I don't know why Moses was like that. But he asked God to show him something amazing so he would follow. Gideon. Gideon's another one of those characters who asked God, and he asked God twice. God was calling Gideon to do something, and Gideon said, well, God, I've got this fleece that I'm going to leave outside for whatever reason. I'm going to leave it out there, and if you leave it dry and the ground is wet, I'll follow you. I'll, I'll believe you. So God did it, and then I don't know what happened, but Gideon was like, uh, I don't really know if I trust that, so how about this time you make it wet and make the ground dry? Right? God had to show him twice that that was the call he had for him, that that was the call he had on his life. So it is okay for us to ask God for clarification in our lives on the call that he has for us. It is okay for you guys to say, God, is this really what you want for me? Am I really supposed to be doing this? Am I supposed to go here? 
or do this. And, and God, God might answer. He might show you that that's the right way, and he might not. Part of having faith, part of having faith is just trusting. It is a blind trust. If God answered us every single time, it wouldn't be called faith. It would be called decision-making. And that's not what we're doing, right? This is a faith that we have. So if God is calling you into something today, be willing to take that risk. Be willing to follow him boldly. No matter where he's calling you, no matter what he's calling you into, be willing to follow him boldly as we go in. You guys stand up with me. We're going to have, um, we're going to go into this time again of worship, another time of worship here. Our prayer teams are going to be in the back, ready to pray with you guys. And, and I know those people back there. I really do. If there's anything that you need prayer for, they are, they are willing to pray for you and they would love to pray for you and pray with you and to keep praying for you as, 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 you, go, as you go through whatever decisions you're trying to make. Okay? So if you need prayer, you guys can move back to the prayer teams at any time during these next couple of songs. But right now, we're just going to continue in our worship together.